Welcome to I Testify Conversation Station. Today's topic is personal finances. With your girl, Nay Will. Shalacia Harris. The key five pillars of finance. The quote of the day is, God expects us to be masters of our skills and abilities through education and practical experience. Welcome back to our conversation station. I'll be your host today. I'm Nay Will, and I have a special guest with me today. She's the founder of In Charge, and she's going to be sharing with us a bit about finances. I'm Shalicia Harris, and um, as Nay said, I am the founder of In Charge, um, and it's a financial tech company that really wants each and every one of you to take control of your finances. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to really talk about the practical aspects of finances, but also how to interact that with our spiritual experiences. But first, we're going to ask Shalicia to tell us a little bit about In Charge and what it's all about and how she helps people with their finances. So what In Charge does is we take people's finances, but we focus on the five key pillars, which we determined was debt, which is number one, which we were going to start with. Um, and then we go into housing affordability, resilience fund, your retirement savings, and finally your credit worthiness. So this is what we consider the five key pillars that really helps you look at all aspects of your finances, so you always are planning for each and every area of it. We're going to begin by talking about debt. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those who are hasty surely to poverty. And we're really going to think about what is debt. That's a really great question because a lot of people automatically think debt is all bad. And debt plays a really great role in our world today because we have a lot of achievements we want, such as going to school um, and funding your university or college education. And that a lot of times for many of us, including myself, meant taking on debt. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of that, when you're taking on debt, such as your student debt, that would be something that's considered good debt. However, when you are planning for debt, you need to take into consideration four things. One, is this debt going to allow me to increase my income in the future? Because when you're taking on that debt, it's sort of an investment in yourself when you decide to, you know, educate yourself and go a bit further in life. And if that's not going to increase your income significantly to help you pay back that debt, then maybe you want to reconsider your options. So any debt that you're taking on, if it allows you to acquire an asset, which is something like a house, most people's houses, if they own it, their mortgage is a debt. However, it's still an investment in yourself mm. and in your future because that house is going to appreciate in value over years. Um, so that return comes back to you. So things that increase your net worth or allow you to make more money or takes you a bit further in life, those would be considered good debt. And education and something like a mortgage is a great example of it. When we look at 
a vehicle, a car. A lot of people want a car. Cars are nice. They're yes, great. They are. Um, but depending on the purpose of that vehicle, that could either be considered good debt or bad debt. Because the second you drive off the lot um, with a brand new car, you've lost a significant percentage of the value of that vehicle. And over time, it will simply depreciate in value. So the value is going to go down year after year, even if you try to sell it, it doesn't have scratches on it, it has the nicest rims, you're only going to get so much money for it. And it's never going to be the amount that you initially put in. So if you're getting a vehicle, maybe then it's allowing you to travel a bit further, a little bit more conveniently, so you can make a you can get to a job that allows you to make significantly more than is within your your normal area of commute. And that's and I think you said something so powerful, which is investing in yourself, which I think um, that's that's an amazing thing to think about that. Obviously, we will acquire some debt. But once you're looking at it as an investment in yourself and in your future and in the things that you feel important, maybe it's your ministry, different things like this. These are ways for you to look at how debt could be a good thing. Right. We've mm -hmm. associated debt with being a negative thing. Yeah. But that's really taking that and looking that in the positive. So thank yeah. you so much for that. Two is you want to be able to acquire an asset, which we talked about Um if you're looking to take on debt, if it's an asset, then it's, like I said, a good investment in yourself. Three, understand the total cost of borrowing mm -hmm. um, and your interest rate associated with your car payments or your your student debt or your house. That's going to be really important because the cost to borrow is something that a lot of people don't quite understand. And you must ensure that your interest rates that you are getting on these different things that you want in life um, make sense for you and make sense for how much you're actually paying for it. And finally, no matter what you do when it comes to your finances, planning is everything. Yes. Have a plan to pay back your debt in the end. Sometimes we forget about the practical aspects of life. And as individuals that want to put ourselves in the community and invest positively in the community, it's also important that our lives are able to sustain these things, right? And we think about living within your means, and which is the next topic that we're going to kind of talk about is how to really do that. And you've already touched on housing. And sometimes we think about the big house and that's what you want and it's how do we kind of balance our desires and the things that we do want with the things that are more beneficial not only to us as individuals but practically to our spirituality sometimes we think that maybe if we want to get mm -hmm. a big house then we have to give up on that in some way that's taking away from you spiritually or if you want to acquire these things but it's finding that balance and ensuring that it's within your means so again what would you say when you live paycheck to paycheck you worry about sustaining life and not wealth. Like you're not really worrying about that, like um, the real things that you should be worrying about. And how would you say is the best way for you to balance that and still acquire these things like houses? So the, the first rule of thumb um, when it comes to housing and housing affordability is really exactly what you said is live within your means. Everyone wants a nice house. Everyone wants a beautiful backyard with a pool and a trampoline and a beautiful deck to host, you know, barbecues throughout the summer. 
However, that might not be your current situation. And I think when we talk about housing affordability and your finances in general, your current situation is not your future situation. Wow. So if you can think of it in that sense um, and you can work towards some of those goals, then always think of like housing affordability as, you know, following the 30% rule. And what that means is 30% of your income should go towards your housing. And similar to understanding the cost of borrowing, you need to understand the total cost of your housing. Mm -hmm. So that's not just your mortgage payment or your rent. That's your electric bills. That's your internet. That's your laundry. If you don't have laundry at home, that's any kind of maintenance or renovations, insurance, like all of these things compound and add up and eat into the amount of money that you actually have available to do other things in your life. So most definitely, um, you need to, most definitely you need to stay within that 30%. It's a really, really healthy number, um, that allows you to do other things in your life. So three things here for housing affordability is follow the 30% rule, know your total cost of housing, um, and manage your variable costs, which would be your electric bills and things like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this idea of budgeting, this is a biblical principle. Um, thinking about 10% and these percentages and ensuring them they're going in the places that they should be going, whether it be um, investing in um, the church or your tithe or things like that, or whether it be your housing. And these are biblical principles that we need to continue to think about and how to maintain. And um, it's not necessarily about what you want now. You said such a powerful thing about where you are now is not where you will be in the future. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. And that was such a powerful thing to think about, right? Because we're always looking at bettering our situation. And it's not necessarily about fulfilling that instant gratification now, like what we want now. You may not be able to afford those big things now, but you're investing and you're ensuring that you are co continually growing, whether it be spiritually, financially, or in any other ways. And we're going to talk about that a bit, about really planning for the future and this resilience that we really want to maintain to ensure that we are not just able to sustain ourselves now, but in the future. So we've also gathered some questions from our young people, and we'll be able to ask them and throughout the episode. And one of the questions they asked about housing was, is rent really more expensive than your mortgage? So that's, that's a really great question because I think it's, it's a little bit of a myth out there and it all depends on how you look at it. Mm. So dollar for dollar, is there someone with rent out there that's paying $2,000 for rent? Yes. Is someone's mortgage $2,000 out there as well too? Yes. So when we think of rent and mortgages, it's dollar for dollar, not necessarily more expensive. However, with rent, you don't really see that money back. You don't really right. see something that you've worked for in the end it, it kind of goes into the abyss and you know you can't think about it ever again however a mortgage is something like we said is an investment in yourself it's something that's going to be there 
um, for you in the future that you can leverage. And that is an asset for you in any real estate that you've purchased. So not necessarily more expensive, definitely an investment in yourself, but there are perks to both renting and, um, owning. So what would you say are the perks to renting? So it depends on your current life situation as a young person, um, renting would be something that's totally feasible for you because you don't have that down payment as yet to make. And it allows you to probably, you know, move from city to city. Um, as you're trying to figure out like, where does life, where's life going to take me? Where do I feel like I need to be for my career, for my family? How do I want to raise them? And it gives you that flexibility. Whereas with um, a mortgage, the benefit of that is that, as I said, again, you are invested in yourself. Um, so you want to make sure that you're taking care of that property and that's going to give you more value and help you build wealth over time. Wonderful. And I think the theme is staying consistent is that ensuring that where we're investing is somewhere that is very practical and something that will ultimately you're investing in yourself. You're investing in the things that are important, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are going to rent, ensuring that this is, you're going to a place that's going to further you, um, whether it be financially later on or academically, or maybe it's for practical reasons like your family or things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important for us to continue thinking about these things and ensuring that the things that we are doing now, we're not just thinking about now, it's not necessarily about instant gratification, but it's about that resilience. It's about ensuring that in those times that we need to be resilient, we are able to do that. And Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those who are hasty surely to poverty. And we really want to talk about this resilience. I know you talk a bit about a resilience fund and tell us a bit more about that and what that really means. Yeah, so at In Charge, we we really try not to use an emergency fund too much because an emergency is something that happens in a moment in time. Yes. And it's something like your car needed a repair and you need to take care of that immediately. However, it typically doesn't have too many long-lasting effects. And what we really want you to plan for is a crisis. Mm-hmm. And right now in the world, we're dealing with COVID-19 where a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot yes. of people haven't been working for for about four months. And that's a crisis. And that is where you need to be resilient. And so resilience really means, you know, the ability to bounce forward and not necessarily bounce back to where you are. Uh, You really want to bounce forward from where you currently were. So if you did have a resilience fund and COVID-19 came um, and you lost your job, you aren't going into debt during this time to fund Mm -hmm. your fund your life, even though the government has stepped up significantly to help families, um, $2,000 may not be enough for a particular family. So that means if you don't have a resilience fund, um, you're going into debt, which is actually putting you back. Um, and if your resilient fund was there to back you up, it keeps you afloat. It keeps you in a great spot. And then when you get your job back, it allows you during that downtime to maybe brush up on some skills, learn a new skills, train, change your career, um, using that time wisely versus stressing about your finances in that moment and not seeing a path forward. So when I say it bounces you forward is that once you get a job again, you're then in a good spot to simply continue 
from where you are and not making up ground at that point um, to get back to where you were to move forward. How much am I supposed to be preparing? How, what's the percentage of my income or whatever that I should be investing in this resilience fund, this crisis preparation fund? (laughs) So um, it really does sound like doomsday, I know. (laughs) But what you really should do is, um, I know a lot of people that follow David Ramsey, he has a great idea and great principle, which I like as well too, is get to $1,000 first. And that thousand dollars is going to be, um, your emergency fund. And it, that is going to be the foundation of where you start to build resilience from there. So once you get to saving a thousand dollars, having it there, that's your stash away for resilience. Then you start to build upon it. And then there's the other principle where you should save 10% of your income. Mm -hmm. And with that, you can then take 5% of that and put it towards your resilient fund every month. And then the other 5%, you put it towards investing in your future um, again. So it's always about, you know, future preparedness and planning. And when it comes to budgeting for resilience, the goal is to get anywhere from three to six months of your expenses covered. So you're not stressed during those times. Wonderful. So as we speak about wisdom, we need to think about discipline and our efforts as well. And it's not just for now, but even as we start thinking about the future in our own personal lives, things like retirement, we have to think of our means not as income, but as resources that we have a responsibility to manage. Money is the method we use to accomplish these things. And so as we think about retirement, how it's very easy, especially as young individuals, to kind of separate ourselves from the thought of aging and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even things like preparing for retirement and stopping work. We're thinking of getting into our careers. So it's kind of a almost, it seems unrealistic to be thinking about something so far ahead. But as spiritually minded individuals, we have to think that the future is coming. We're always preparing for the future. We're thinking of heaven and we're thinking about practical that this world is fleeting and time is going, right? And so as we think about that, we also need to think about retirement and things like that. And how would you say is the best ways for us to prepare for things like that? I think as young people, um, planning for retirement actually becomes so much easier the younger you are. Um, Because if I told you that... By the time you retire, if you started planning for retirement at the age of 18, you could be a millionaire and have a million dollars in the bank. Like, how surprising is that to you? Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) So um, just just some quick numbers re-crunched. So if you started investing in a retirement fund, like a registered retirement savings plan known as an RRSP at the age of 18, because that's when you can open one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you started putting in 100 to $150 every single month into that account. By the time you read 65 um, and your interest started making interest and started gaining interest for you, and you simply don't touch that money. It's easily, the math is simple. Um, the math makes sense. You can get to a million dollars from 18 to 65 with 
something small as $150 every single month. And the later you wait in life to start contributing to your RRSP accounts, um, the higher that number needs to be. And you don't have as much time for your interest to make interest. So, um, so really time is on your side. And I personally wish I knew this, um, when I was 18, Um, I would have started that a long time ago. Um, so that's, that's what in charge is all about is giving young people the opportunity to know things like this, to start taking advantage of Mm -hmm. it because $150 when you're 18 and working a part-time job and don't really have responsibilities, at least too many responsibilities, um, is a lot easier than you being 50 and having to put $1,200 away every wow. month. Because at this point, you probably own a house, you probably mm-hmm. have kids, you need to support them through school. Um, so the younger you start, um, the better it is for you and the easier it is for you to plan for some of your other future money. And it frees up space for things like vacations and traveling and any other interests you may have in your life. And wonderful. And these are the ideas of discipline because you spoke about put, having the money in the bank account. I can only imagine and seeing that interest and in not touching it. Yeah. And I think these are the things, right? We're learning this control and this self-control, this discipline. And it's really putting that effort in as soon as you can, not putting off for tomorrow what you can really do today. So we have another question that was presented by our young people and they just want to know what is good investing and what is bad investing? So I'm going to start with, um, I'm not an investing expert by any (laughs) means, Um, but some really good ways to start investing, especially when it comes to your future and retirement planning and things like that, um, is to start with these tools such as an RRSP or a TFSA, which is a tax-free savings account. All of these, both of these accounts can be opened when you're 18 years old. Um, investing those accounts and you can help set your risk with a, your risk level of how risky you want your investment to be. Do you want it high risk? Do you want it low risk? Do you want it medium risk? And meeting with a financial advisor or someone that, you know, specializes in, um, in how the stock market works and how interest um, and all of this works in the stock market, um, that's gonna that's really gonna be the real starting point for you in terms of investing. Because if you go and you start trading stocks yourselves, um, the stock market's always going up and down, especially, you know, this entire year of 2020. It's kind of had these mild crashes um, week week to week sometimes. So definitely um, start with RRSPs and TFSAs and it's kind of like dipping your toe in the water. And as you feel more comfortable and you're learning and you're educating yourself um, using really good resources, um, we're actually going to be hosting an investment training. So, um, and that's going to be run by a university professor who's definitely an expert in this area. As we talk about our last pillar, which is your credit worthiness. Mm-hmm. And um, that might sound like a big word, but ultimately it's three numbers that describe <laughs> you to the bank and it's called your credit score. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and um, that that's, that's a really great number because um, one of the key reasons In Charge was started is because we went out and 
you know, we surveyed people, we talked to a lot of people and said, how do you understand your current financial position? Mm. And people would say, well, I have a good credit score, so I'm in a good financial position. Um, that's great. It's it's a great step to have great credit worthiness and be trusted with debt. Um, but it's not, it's not everything when it comes to your overall financial position. So yes. everything we talked about, debt, housing affordability, your resilience fund, your retirement savings, but credit worthiness is just as important as all of those. And we all know how important our credit score is. So what your credit score ultimately does is it gives banks or anyone that's lending you anything, including your, um, your employers, some, some employers, actually most employers will probably run a credit check on you to see as is this person a risky person? Can I trust them to be in my organization? <laughs> Are they handling money? Can I trust them not to steal my company's money? Um, so building your your good credit and your trustworthiness isn't necessarily around just money for organizations. It's around just simple trustworthiness. Can yes. I give this person something to take care of? If you ever did one of those programs in school where they gave you an egg for a week, <laughs> um, you would understand how hard it is um, not to break it. And it's like breaking trust when you break the egg. Mm-hmm. It's hard to clean up. And it's the same thing with your credit score and building credit worthiness. So it's focusing on key, key behaviors, which would be paying on time, Mm-hmm. And in full. And if you're not able to pay in full, at least pay the minimum payment yes. on all the debt that you have. Another part of credit worthiness is, you know, we live in a world that's not so trusting necessarily. And you might be a victim of identity theft. And a lot of that goes on to your credit because people are opening accounts in your name yeah. in order to get access to cash. So when you look at um, your credit report, which is something you should get at least every year, that can help you um, manage your credit worthiness. Because if there's something on that that's affecting your your three-digit score, then you can figure that out and have that fixed so your overall credit standing is in a good place. And Third, live within your means. Don't take on more debt than you can afford so you can maintain really great credit worthiness. And so we do have another question by, that was presented by the young people, and they want to know if does having a credit, credit card young actually better your credit? or? Yes, yeah, so having a credit card early can definitely help you start building credit. Yes. So what a lot of people don't actually know is your credit score starts from the lowest. So it starts at 300. And when you do get a credit card and you start making purchases on it and you start paying your bill on time and you keep up that behavior, then banks are going to say, ooh, we can trust this person. Um, They pay us back on time and in full. (laughs) So then they offer you more credit. And that's usually really attractive. And this is where a lot of young people um, get into a bit of a hole and some trouble (laughs) because it's like, ooh, I'm just going to put this vacation on a credit card. Um, And then you come back from vacation and can't pay for it. And that vacation was no longer a deal to you. It was no longer $1,200 because you're paying it off two years later and it's incurred 
19.99% interest over that year. So, um, so definitely getting a credit card early can certainly kickstart your, um, your credit score, but it's getting that credit card with knowing that there is a responsibility to that. And there is that responsibility to your future self with that, because having a low credit score is based on your past behavior Mm -hmm. that determines what they can give you now and in the future. So if you look at it that way, um, having a credit score is a big responsibility because it's you setting yourself up for success or failure based on how you're going to use it. And so before we wrap up, I just want to know if you have any final words to share with us, any things that you'd like to leave us with, whether it be about in charge Mm -hmm. or whether it be about just the things that we've talked about today. Yeah. So um, I think it it really all goes back to, you know, why in charge was founded and what we really wanted to do, because as a young person, um, I struggled with my finances and I wish I had the help earlier on. Finances are overwhelming and (laughs) uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everyone's like scared to show anybody like their true financial status. And, and that's why we're here. And that's why we develop the five key pillars. So it's structured in a way that you can think about it clearly and you can make a plan. And that's what we do. We help people make a plan for their finances to get them from point A to point B and continuous growth. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And we're so happy to have welcomed you here today. And we just want to thank you for doing this and starting this company and being able to reach out and help people in this practical way. And we do wish you all the best in this. And we already see all the things that you're doing. And we just know (laughs) that it's going to be a success. And where could, and if they did want to contact you and get a little bit more information about in charge or um, some help with all these tools that you've shared with us, where would they do that? So you can certainly um, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at b.in.charge with an extra e um <laughs> and you can also you can also find that information down in the bio and also at beincharge.ca so very very simple i want you to beincharge.ca so wow. find us there <laughs> this is i testify conversation station Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe.